0: Did you see this? Did you see this? This is my baby girl, Emma Jean. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. All right, I admit, I've been asking for—I had been asking God for a son, <laughs> someone to play catch with, someone to work on that old clunker sitting out in the garage. I've been dreaming up all sorts of things that we could do together. But when that little girl came out, with her arms flailing and her mouth screaming. I knew there wasn't anything else in this world I'd ever want again as much as this baby girl safe in my arms. After the birth, the doctor said that my wife wouldn't be able to have any more babies. He said it was a miracle that Emma Jean was even born and that it'd be risky if we ever wanted to try again. I didn't mind so much. Her mother and I knew at that very moment we were just going to have to pour out all of our love and to this one little baby girl. <sighs> See this? This is my baby girl. Oh, I, all right, I admit. She's 13 already, but she'll always be my baby girl. She just got her braces taken off. Her smile reminds me of a brand new white picket fence, all neat and tidy and lined up in a perfect row. She's got the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. And she can hardly keep the boys away. Her mom's been teaching her how to wear makeup. And not too long ago, she took her to Macy's to buy her first... Well, you know, underwear for women... (laughs) But don't think she's gone too, too completely soft on me. Oh, no. She's the best offense they've got on the Junior Mountain High's girls basketball team. I never knew a girl so small could be so intimidating. <laughs> well, Emma, Jean and I, well, we practice every night before dinner till our mom calls us in. We play pig, horse, around the world. Or we just play one-on-one. And she almost beats me every time. <laughs> we have this deal going that every time she beats me, she gets a dollar to go towards these new, these, uh, new basketball shoes she wants. White, I I believe they're white with a red stripe down the side. And boy, do they look sharp. Truth is, I plan on getting her the shoes anyway. I just wanted to give her some sort of incentive to try even harder. I've already had the money saved up in the bank, just sitting there waiting for her to earn it. Though the way she's playing, it's not going to be sitting there long. Did you see? Did you see in the newspaper? At the state championships, my baby girl. She's, Emma Jean scored 23 points that game, and she's only 16 years old. I figure at this rate she'll be able to get some sort of scholarship for that college of hers that she's been wanting to go to so bad. Except she might not be able to play basketball next year. She's been sick. Real sick. About six months ago, She found a lump, right, right about here. I told the doctor she was too young. There was no way. How could he say such a thing? I mean, this is the same doctor that delivered my baby girl those 16 years ago, and now he has the audacity to tell me that that same baby girl is dying? They almost had to call the security guards. I was so mad. Emma Jean was real confused, and she was crying, and I told her not to listen to the doctor. I took her out of there, and I told her we'd find another doctor. See this? There's a passage in the Bible, in Mark. This man has leprosy, and he says to Jesus, If you choose, you can heal me. And then it says, Jesus was moved with pity, and he said, I do choose. And the man was healed. Simple as that. Lord, I know if you choose, you can heal her. You can show us a miracle. I know you still do. Miracles, that is. My neighbor... Joe Miller, he's a born-again Christian. He says they happen to him all the time. Just the other day, he popped his head over our fence and asked if he could borrow our our lawnmower because his was broken. Well, that night, he prayed, and he prayed you would fix it. And sure enough, the next day, he pulled that start and revved up good as new. Lord, if you can fix a lawnmower, if you can give a baby girl to a woman who isn't even supposed to have babies... You can do this one thing for my Emma Jean. Choose. Choose her. Choose my baby. You see this? This is my baby girl. Emma Jean. She's the reason why I don't go to church anymore. She's the reason why I don't want to go to the service with you. An atheist? No. She's not an atheist. She's gone. And if God really cared about me, He'd have done something about it. He'd have healed her. But He didn't, He was careless. And I'm not interested in a God who chooses to care about some people and not for others. Emma Jean. She's up there singing with the angels right now. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid she's the closest thing to heaven I'll ever get.
1: so how do we handle it when when god is silent and by silent i don't mean that you know god doesn't talk out loud to us because he never does that really when, when we talk about god being silent what we mean is we can't get our situation resolved or we can't get an answer as to why we're dealing with something most people don't ask why god is silent when things are going well what what happens is there's sort of a, a a toxic compound of our pain and God's perceived inaction. And when we think about those of us who have been in church for most of our lives, or at least religious, one of the first messages that we learn is that God wants to help people and that if you pray, God will answer your prayer. So we grow up thinking that. But then when we go through pain and we ask God to stop the pain, and he doesn't stop the pain, or at least, if we we ask just if God would help us to understand why, and we don't get an answer for that, then then we get frustrated and we think that God is silent. I think what what really exacerbates the situation is just the the world that you and I live in today, especially our civilized world. We're so accustomed to getting whatever we want quickly. Uh, we live in the information age. So if we want to learn something, you you get on the internet and within seconds you can get you can get. Uh, all kinds of information that answers our questions. If you want to buy something, you can, you can shop and, and compare prices on the same item all over the world and click and you can buy it. So we're so accustomed to getting that quick resolution that when we go through a life-changing crisis and we think we're following God and we think we're hearing from God and yet we don't see any resolution to our situation, it can breed a real frustration in us. And many of us here today know exactly what that's like. And for those of us who are God followers and we sincerely, truly do want to sync up with God, what can, what can happen in our, in our lives is, is a kind of hypocrisy like I talked about last week. Because on one side, we kind of keep a, a happy face going so that everybody will think that we're okay. But deep down inside, we have a frustration and we're trying to figure out why God doesn't help us when he seems to help other people. I, I do think that one of the things that we need, and, and this is what this whole series is going to be about for the next three weeks what we really do need, don't you think, is, is just some real gut level honesty? I mean, don't we really just need to be straight about this? And even if you are a God follower and you're frustrated because you've asked God for help and he, he, he hasn't answered, don't you think it'd be at least better off if we were to be honest with ourselves and honest with God about it and maybe honest with each other? Because I think just having pastored for as many years as I've, I've pastored and listening to people's stories, I think one of the great frustrations that Christians have sometimes is to go through a, a hard crisis and then to go to church, and it's like, it's like easy answers. Um, you know, if you watch television, if you watch a 30-minute television show, whatever the conflict is in that show, it's going to resolve in the last five minutes. If it's an hour-long show, it's going to resolve in the last 10 minutes. If you go to a movie, it's going to resolve at the end. And I think we've gotten accustomed to that, and we think, well, I'm, I'm going to bring my problem to church, and it's going to resolve. I'm going to get an answer today that I can walk away with and figure out everything that God is at work trying to do in my life. But I don't think life works that way. In fact, there are times in my personal life, and I'm not ashamed to admit it today, there have been times in my personal life that I've been so frustrated, I've asked, God, where are you? If I'm following you and if I'm trying to do what you want me to do, I don't understand what's going on in my life. And if you've ever felt that way, you should understand that some of the greatest people in the Bible felt the same way. Let me just read a couple of, of verses or, you know, if you've ever felt frustrated in, in saying, God, I feel like I can't even talk to you about what's going on because if I did talk to you, it might not sound very good. Listen to this. Here's a guy who said, God, why have you abandoned me? Now, abandoned is a strong word. We use the word abandoned for a man who walks out on his wife and kids. And yet here is this guy who is saying, God, it feels like you've abandoned me. Why are you so far away from me when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Silence, dead still. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. That's a pretty strong statement. You think, well, what kind of guy made that? Maybe he was just like a really, really bad sinner or something because he said every day, God, I ask for your help, but I don't get any answer. A few chapters later, he would say this, do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. You know who said that? david david god said about david that he's a guy that's like me he's a man after my heart is what the bible says and god loved david god called david the apple of his eye and yet here is this great king the guy that we revere the guy is a young kid who went down into a valley and killed a giant with a slingshot and yet david is saying every day i ask for help but all i get is silence here's another guy he said though i cry and shout he has shut out my prayers he has blocked my way with a high stone wall well you would think you know who 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 would it be who would pray and and yet god would just block him and stop his prayers maybe it's a bad guy no it was prophet jeremiah one of the greatest preachers who ever lived so why does that happen i need to tell you today you know, if you're accustomed to going to a church service and you're used to having a minister give you just real quick answers, I have to tell you that today's message is not going to be that way. I'm going to give you a chord that isn't going to resolve at the end. But what I do hope is at the end of this message, you'll have a deeper understanding of how the world works and why things are the way they are and what you can do when you don't get any word from God. But it's more complicated than it sounds. And you're going to have to be willing to work with me for a little while to read some scripture. You're going to have to be willing to just open up and see this issue as bigger than just your personal problem or my personal problem. We have to be willing to do that. And if we're not willing to do that, I have to be candid with you. We're doomed to just wander around and say, where is God when I'm hurting? We have to start with the scene that happened before there was ever a human being. We have to start at the very well i hate to use the term beginning because there is no beginning with god god is an eternal spirit he has always been here people always ask me when did god have a beginning because everything has to have a beginning and i find that so humorous because god is the one who initiated the concept of beginning there was no time until god instituted time to help us measure things so god is an eternal spirit one thing about God, there are actually two things about God is number one, God is creative. God always loves creating. He, he is a God who enjoys being creative. In fact, if you are a creative person, you have something that God has placed within you that 's akin to his own personality. The second thing is that God loves company. God is not a lonely person; he does not like to be by himself. he enjoys company so Before there ever was a world, God created some eternal spirits to serve Him, to do His bidding, to share His company. We call those spirits angels, and they are eternal beings. They will live from the point of their inception, from that point on, because that is the nature of the spirits God creates. God enjoyed their company, they enjoyed God's company. But there was one particular spirit, there was one particular angel who I would think from reading the scriptures as well as I can understand it, he was the most powerful angel, or at least there was no angel more powerful than he. He was the most beautiful of all the angels. The thing about God, when God creates people or angels, the one thing about God is that God wants us to worship from our choice god doesn't want to create robots every once in a while people will ask me well why if god knew we were going to sin and get in all this trouble why did god give us the ability to choose well god wants to be loved he wants to be in a real relationship and by the way if you're in a relationship with anyone their love only matters if they're free to love and god knew that and so when he created the angels he gave them a will An ability to choose so that their worship was meaningful. Well, unfortunately, whenever you give someone, you know, forgive me for breaking a sentence, I always say this. This has been something I've watched all my life. I cannot love without risking. You know, if I don't love, I don't really risk. If I don't love you, you can't hurt me. But the moment I love you, at that moment, I'm susceptible to risk. I'm susceptible to being hurt. And God is love. And so these eternal spirits, he gave them the opportunity to choose. And this one spirit, this one angel, Lucifer, decided that God shouldn't get all that love, that maybe he should be getting the love. And he began to go around and circulate among the other angels and kind of talk to them about his idea that maybe, you know, why should God be God? Maybe an angel could be God, just like God could be God. And from what we read in the book of Revelation... It appears that he was able to coalesce around himself a third of the angels, and they rebelled against God, which is a bad idea. And God thumped them out of heaven. But remember this they're eternal beings. They do not go into disintegration. They do not disappear. This is why there is a hell. If you've ever wondered why there is a hell, there must be a place for these eternal spirits who have rebelled against God to spend an eternity shackled and chained in a place where they will suffer forever. And always remember this. God did not create hell for people. If people go to hell, it is because they choose to reject the only way of salvation. Scene two. God not only wanted to create angels, God had a plan to create people. The Bible tells us that we don't exactly know how we relate to the angels. The Bible says we're a little lower than the angels. That doesn't mean we're less important than the angels, clearly because God did something for us that he didn't do for the angels. But it just means that in power we're lower than the angels. God wanted God wanted children. If you if you've ever wanted to have a child, you understand God because God wanted children. And so He made a world and He He, he, he basically planned this world and, and created this world with beauty and, and every available situation and thing to help his crowning creation of mankind. And then the Bible tells us that God did the most awesome thing. He stooped down, and out of the dust of the ground, he formed the form of a man now dust comes and goes if you remember the old kansas song all we are is dust in the wind that would have been true except for one thing god bent over his sculpture and he blew his breath into that dust and at that moment adam became a living eternal spirit and soul God took the rib from Adam's side and from the DNA in Adam's rib. He made a woman. And from, and from that point on, God had what he truly wanted. He had people to love him and worship him. And, and to show his love, he placed them in a perfect environment where everything was good and nothing bad happened. There were no rapes in the Garden of Eden. There was no child abuse in the Garden of Eden. There was no drug abuse in the Garden of Eden. There was no hurtful thing that happened there because it was the world the way God wanted it to be. Something that rarely ever gets communicated in church, because really a lot of times we just never talk about these kinds of things. When God turned over the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion. God gave mankind, Adam and Eve, God gave them basically authority over his creation. If you've ever wondered what went on when God said, don't you know, eat the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden and Eve ate it and Adam joined her in eating it, that may sound very simple, but let me tell you what happened at that moment. Adam and Eve took the dominion that God had given them in a perfect world and they surrendered it to Lucifer who had rebelled against God in the very beginning. And from that moment on, we lived in a broken world. You say, Mark, why, why are you talking to us like this? Why is this so important to you? i got to tell you that when I, went to, when I was in, in school to prepare for ministry, I went to a school whose theology department taught this, that God is so in charge of everything that happens in the world that God is actually responsible for the evil that happens in the world because God is totally sovereign. I want to tell you that is a lie. And it is a painful lie for this reason. If my heart is broken and my life is hurt and I've been hit in the solar plexus of life and I'm I'm in pain in the deepest level of my life if I have to look up to heaven and say God you're behind my suffering that's more than I can take no, that's, that's not true. It is true that God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he's given us a choice. He gave the angels a choice, and they rebelled, or at least a third of them did. He gave Adam and Eve choices so that they could love him, and they surrendered the dominion that God had given them back to the Lucifer. We pray, don't we? And we say, God, would you help me with my problem? And if God doesn't help us with our problem, or if God doesn't resolve our situation the way that we wish him to, we say, well, why didn't God help? Why didn't God heal my mother if God controls everything? Why didn't he heal my mother? You know, why did my mother die young when there are criminals in prison that are like living out years of life that they're never going to be able to use? And God, I don't understand. Why can't we conceive when there are people who are killing their babies before they're born? God, I don't understand. Here's one thought that you and I need to keep before us all the time when we go through tough times. God did not hand us a broken world. Have you ever loaned someone something, and when you loaned it to them, it was in good shape, when they bring it back to you, it's broken? How do you deal with that? You know, you loan your car to someone, when they bring it back, they've torn up the transmission. That's exactly what happened to God. He he, he turned this world over to us whole. We handed it back to him broken. And what you should understand is that God now must deal with a world that we've broken. Unless we get on Adam and Eve too, too, too much, haven't we messed up too? And so what God has done is he said, okay, here's the thing. I will not destroy this world because it's broken. I'm going to find a way to work with a broken world. And he did. He's always chosen out people for himself who love him and who want to serve him. And he did the ultimate thing by sending us a solution for our sin. When we handed dominion back to Lucifer, the Lord found a way to bring his son into the world to live that perfect life that we couldn't live, to die on a cross to pay for that rebellion that started in the Garden of Eden and came all the way through us. And then God has made us a promise that someday we're going to live forever in a place where life is like God wants it to be and God always wanted to be. But in this meantime, in this gap that you and I are living in our world, we are living with a God who loves us but in a broken world. And there is this disconnect, sometimes even a contradiction in which we wonder, if God loves me and if God is great, why am I in this brokenness? And it's not easy. Scene 3. I want us to begin looking at a book that we're going to look at for the next three weeks. The book is called Job. And oddly enough, we believe that Job was the first book of the Bible that was written down. I don't mean it doesn't cover the first chronological history because obviously Genesis does that. But Moses wrote that. We really don't know who wrote the book of Job, but we do believe it was the first book of the Bible ever written. By the way, in this story, Job is going to have a crisis. His life is going to melt down, and he doesn't know why. Isn't it interesting that the oldest story written down is this story? Well... I told you how that Lucifer rebelled against God and was thumped out of heaven, but it seems, and I don't understand this, when we get to heaven, we can ask God and he can explain it all to us if we still care. But it appears that Lucifer still had access. I mean, God would like have his angels check in and he would hold them accountable. And so there are, of course, the two-thirds of the angels that are still faithful to God, they're checking in, they're doing God's work, they're explaining to God, or not explaining necessarily, but they're reporting to God for what they've been doing and 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 while these angels are reporting to god lucifer shows up and there's this conversation in job chapter one i'm, I'm not going to read it today and but if you want to read this when you go home you can the, lucifer shows up before god and God says, what you've been up to god knew he just wanted lucifer to t- tell him and lucifer so well, i've been patrolling do you know what the bible calls lucifer the bible calls your enemy the accuser of the family so what what happens with Lucifer when he showed up before God? It wasn't like, well, God, I've been doing your work because he's the very opposite. He's the enemy of God. What he's been, what he's saying is, I've been checking up on people, and these people that claim to follow you, follow you, their lives are really messed up. And, and sometimes I'm embarrassed to think about what Lucifer's been able to tell God, even though God knows everything about me. But I wonder how many times I've embarrassed God in heaven because Lucifer says, you know, that guy Mark that you like, ah, oh, he's a mess. And so Lucifer, I mean, he he was all ready to talk to God because there were all kinds of people out there in the world who were screwing up big time. And Lucifer was going to tell God, well, I've been checking, I've been patrolling, I've seen her and I've seen him, and I don't know why you're good to that person. But God just stopped him right in the middle. And he said, what do you think about Job? Let me talk to you about Job. Job was an odd combination. He was the richest man in the world and he was the best man. Now, you know what? We don't normally associate those two things. I mean, if you found the richest person in the world, we don't normally associate that with being the best person character-wise. But it can happen. You know, there's nothing wrong with being rich. If you're rich and you're humble, if you're rich but you're a giver, if you're rich but you love God and love people, God bless you. May your tribe increase. And that's how Job was. He was the greatest man in the world, the richest man in the world, but he was also the most loving and giving man. If you, saw, if you saw a guy in a Bentley in the poorest part of town, he wasn't a drug dealer, it was just Job delivering groceries. It was just Job helping people with their rent. It was just Job helping that orphan get through college. That was the kind of guy he was. And no wonder God said to Lucifer, hey, you see Job down there? You want to, talk to, you want to talk to me about him? And Lucifer, of course, being such a hateful person, said to God, well, yeah, duh. The reason he serves you is you're so good to him. Look at all that he's got. I mean, Job had thousands of head of livestock. He had, you know, back in those days, people didn't measure their wealth with currency or with stock because none of those things existed. They measured it with, with, with livestock. For instance, Job had thousands of camels. That's like having a trucking business. No doubt he rented some of those camels out. That's like having a car rental business. Job was just very rich. And, and Lucifer said to God, the reason why he serves you is you are good to him. You let me take it away. You let me touch him. You let me steal the stuff that you have given him. And I'm telling you, God, he will curse you to your face. Now, are you picking this up? And I know, again, I, I'm, I'm plowing deep this morning. What I want us to understand is Lucifer thinks that you are just like he is. He thinks that rebellion is in your heart just like it's in his heart. He thinks that you're materialistic just like he's materialistic. And this was the charge charge that he threw at Job. And so inexplicably, from my perspective, God is God and so he's wiser than I, but I can't understand why this happened. But God said to Lucifer, all right, you can touch him. You can't kill him. You can't touch his body. But you can take everything away from him. And in one day, in one day, it wasn't gradual. It was like it pancaked on Job. One servant would come in and say, a group of raiders came and took away all your oxen. And there was a a lightning strike that came and started a fire and and all all your sheep are gone. And another raiding party came and took all your camels away. I mean, bang, 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 bang. One servant after another came and said, all your stuff has been taken away. And in a moment, Job went from having the biggest bank account in the world to being flat broke. Pretty tough, huh? <laughs> but it was nothing compared to the next servant. Job had 10 kids and they were good kids. As Charles Swindoll says in his great book about this, Job had life by the tail because they were all past teenage years. <laughs> and they would get together with each other and they would, they would have a feast, you know, they would just kind of, it was a movable feast. It would go from one house to the next among the 10 kids and then it was just great they loved each other they got along great and then job would come and hold a worship service at the end of each feast in the case that one of the kids hadn't valued god enough in his heart it was a wonderful family situation but the last servant came to tell job i'm sorry to tell you this sir but all your kids were in a house having a feast and a tornado came through and killed all 10 of them so here is Job. He's like you. He's like me. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's happened in heaven. All he knows is in one day, he got up that morning, the richest man in the world, with all good things around him. And by the time he went to bed that night, everything basically had been stripped away from him, and he didn't understand why. And like some of us, Job looked at heaven, no doubt, and thought, what did I do wrong? And yet there was silence. What do you do? When you have a day that's something like Job's day. Maybe it's a a, a call from the doctor saying um, the results of your biopsy weren't good. what, What do you do when a uniformed officer shows up at your door and tells you something about one of your kids that you don't want to hear? What do you do when your life falls apart in one day? And you can't get an answer from god i want to show you what job did in verse 20 of chapter 1 job stood up and tore his robe in grief i don't know he was probably wearing some kind of armani robe but i mean it hit him so hard that he just ripped it and said man this is how i feel like my insides have been treated and then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship wow He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. That was supposed to be my message this morning. Because you know, I promised you, no saccharine answers, no easy solutions, no Christian talk here. I mean, if, you go, if you're going through, I mean, I, I've been a leader long enough and a pastor long enough to be with families and people when they've gone through the worst times in life. And I know that hearing some sort of trite, saccharine answer can be the, sometimes the worst pain of all. And I've promised you, and I've promised God, that I'm going to give you real stuff from God's Word to know how. I mean, it, the cord may not resolve, but when I read that, I thought, this is what I need to bring today. But just being totally transparent with you, I kept feeling like something was missing. I'm proud of Job that when he, when he lost all these things and he didn't understand why, I'm proud of Job that Job, in the midst of all that suffering, can fall down on his face before God and say, I, I came into this world naked, and I'm leaving naked, but I'm going to find a way to praise God. I just felt like something was missing. When I study the Bible and I get ready for messages for you, I ask questions all the time. I try to ask the questions that I think you might ask. And doesn't this beg a question? Don't you want to know how Job could find a way to say, I came in naked, I'm leaving naked, and and praise the name of the Lord? Don't you want to know what what was his mindset? And I was just praying one day, and I said, God, how am I going to step before all these people in three services, and how am I going to say Job's life fell apart, and he still found a way to praise God, when I don't understand what would motivate him to do that? And I don't want you to think I'm some sort of hyper-spiritual person, but God very clearly led me to another chapter that filled in the details that helps us understand the motivation. The book is Lamentations. It's written by the guy Jeremiah that I I read a scripture about at the beginning of this message. Jeremiah was in a very different situation from Job. You know, some of us, we're like Job. Our life falls apart, and we can't find any reason why it fell apart. Maybe there's something cosmic going on that we don't know about. Others of us, we've been in a different situation. Our life fell apart, but we knew we'd been doing a lot of stuff wrong that led up to that. But there are some of you here today who know what it's like to be in Jeremiah's situation. He, he was doing things right. It was what the people around him were doing wrong. They got in a mess, and Jeremiah got sucked into the mess with them. Some of you know what that's like. You wanted to have a great family. You wanted to, have, you wanted to be a great wife. You, you were faithful. You wanted to have the kind of family that God could, could be excited about and yet it was your husband that did wrong, and now you're sucked into the mess because of what he did. You kind of know how Jeremiah feels. Maybe it's the other way around. Jeremiah had been faithful to God, and yet because the people of, of his nation had been so idolatrous, God finally allowed a foreign power to come and carry them away in captivity. And if you read what happened in Lamentations, it's wretched. I mean, the people are in such bad shape that some of them are actually result they're actually resorting to cannibalism jeremiah's watching the nation that he loves in such shape that he can't believe and jeremiah's in it even though he's been honest and faithful with god i mean he lives there and what he's going to do in lamentations chapter three is he's going to tell god how he feels and by the way aren't you thankful that god is strong enough for us to be able to tell him how we feel i'm going to read for a few minutes if you don't mind well, in, in Lamentations two, verse eleven, Jeremiah said, "I've cried till the tears won't come anymore." And now, in chapter three, verse five, he's going to start saying how he feels that God has treated him. Let's just read through it for a minute. He's besieged me and surrounded me with anguish, anguish and distress. He's buried me in a dark place. He's walled me in and I cannot escape. He's bound me in heavy chains, and though I cry and shout, he shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He's hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. He's dragged me off the path and torn me in pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. And then to me, the saddest verse of the whole chapter, verse 12. He has drawn his bow and made me the target for his arrows. Jeremiah said, I feel like God is using me for target practice. Verse 16. He has made me chew on gravel. He's rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away, and I've forgotten what prosperity is. And then the verse to to me just sums up his whole emotion. He said, everything I'd hoped for from the Lord is lost. You know, when we start following God, we have a lot that we hope for. There are a lot of things that we expect. As a God follower, this is going to happen in my life, this is going to happen in my marriage, this is going to happen with my kids. This is going to happen with my health, because I'm a God follower, and I, I trust God, and I, I obey God, and I expect certain outcomes, because I'm a God follower, And yet Jeremiah, he, he had done the same thing, he said, "Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. But it's at this moment, Jeremiah puts in the steps on the clutch and shifts gears. This is huge. Verse 21. Yet, I still dare to hope. He's saying, everything I hope for is gone. And I feel like God is using me for target practice. I think it's like he's making me chew on gravel. And Jeremiah says, yet, I still dare to hope. If you've ever been in a place where things are so dark and so impossible that you feel like giving up and yet you're a Godfather, and there's just something that rises up within your spirit that says, you know what, I'm not ready to give in yet. I mean, the whole message of Job and the whole message of Jeremiah is both guys are saying, I may be down, but I'm not out. I still dare to hope. When I was a kid growing up, guys that were around me, we used to dare each other. Can you remember that? and probably girls do too. I don't know. I just grew up with guys, so I, guys would just dare each other to do something. I dare you to do this. There are stupid dares out there, aren't there? You ever watch Jackass on MTV? That's a stupid dare. I mean, the guy that's, you know, jump, going to jump four stories and land in the swimming pool, the only time that makes sense is after a couple of six-packs, you know, because it's just a baseless dare. There's no basis. It's a dumb dare. So what I want to know here is, is this a stupid dare? I mean, has Jeremiah gotten to the end of his rope and he's saying, I still dare to hope, but there's no basis for it. And I'm happy to tell you there is a basis for his dare. Look at this. I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Jeremiah is saying, I feel like you're using me for target practice. I feel dead. Everything I hope for is gone. But God... I still dare to hope because I remember that you love me. You and I are going to be in situations in our life where we don't know what to do next and we're not going to be able to make sense out of things. But I can tell you this, if you're God's child, you can look toward heaven and say, God, I can't make any sense out of this at all, but I do know one thing, I know you still love me. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. And then the line that gave us the song that we sang a little while ago, great, is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I think at this moment, Jeremiah is remembering the Israelites in the wilderness as they got got manna from God. And every morning there was fresh manna. And and Jeremiah was saying, listen, this is so big. I wish I knew how to preach this. Jeremiah is saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it through today. I don't see anything today that's any good. But I know that tomorrow morning, God's mercies are going to start all over again. And God is going to be merciful in the morning. And to me, the most powerful line in the whole chapter For no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. If you came today for me to give you an answer for why you're going through what you're going through, I may not be able to give it to you because, as you've already seen today, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that we can't see. And I can't tell you why. Bad things have happened in your life. Maybe they haven't happened in somebody else's life, but I can tell you this. I can tell you that the faithful love of God never ends, that His faithfulness is great, and that His mercies are new every morning, and God never abandons any of His children forever. That's what I can tell you. And in the midst of your broken pieces, you can do like Job. Do you see why I'm saying this explains what happened with Job? Like Job, you can say, I came into this world naked. I'm leaving leaving naked. I just do know this. I know that God's name is to be praised, and I'm hitching my wagon to his star. Because sometime there will be a day when this cord resolves. Let's pray. Father, you know the hearts of everybody here today. Father, I feel so inadequate. I, you and I have been talking, I've been talking to you about this all this weekend. Father, I feel so inadequate to bring this message. But your Holy Spirit can, can put this salve on the heart in all the right places. I pray for those who are going through hard times right now, who not only are going through them now, but have been going through them for a long time. Father, more than anything else, may they have a sense that your love never fails, and that your mercies are new every morning, and that you can still be trusted. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who's never committed his or her life to you, never received Jesus, may today be that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you still pray with me for a moment? I could be talking to somebody here today, and you say, Mark, you've been talking about how God works with his children. I'm not sure I am God's child. How do you become God's child? Well, you remember back at the beginning of this message when I told you that we handed God a broken world back, and that instead of casting this world aside, God chose to work with the broken world. And that his solution for our brokenness was to give us a way to get back to him. There was only one way for God to do that. And that was by giving his only son. God the son came into our world, human and God at the same time. And he, he, he lived the life that we can't live. And then he died a punishment death for you and me. So that we might have a way back to God. A lifeline. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. The Bible says, whoever calls, calls, that's the word, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you be willing to call? You got to own up to the fact that you're not perfect and that you're not good enough on your own to get into heaven because you're from a broken system. You must believe that Jesus did die for you and that he rose from the grave proving that he is indeed God. And if you're willing to receive him, I'll tell you, God will adopt you into his family lightning quick. And Someday you'll have the opportunity to live in a world, in a universe, that's the way God wants things to be. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, I'm going to pray a prayer. You can use your own words. But if you wish, you can pray this prayer with me. And from your heart, if you do it, God will hear you. Here we go. Jesus, I know I've done wrong. But I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose from your grave. I receive you as my Savior and my King. Forgive me of my sins. Transform me. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that's a simple prayer, but if you prayed that prayer, I'd like for you to do something because we have a we have a packet of stuff that we want to give you free of charge. It's just some DVDs and some great stuff to help you know how to follow Jesus. And we will give it to you. All you need to do, if you will, is just detach this part of your worship folder. Write your name and an address where I can send you that packet. You can drop it in the boxes by the back doors, the offering plates, boxes at the bottom of the stairways, and I'll mail it to you this week. If you're like me and you don't like to wait, you don't have to. All you have to do is bring this card back to either Guest Services or New Spring Store right out the middle there. All you have to do is just hand them the card. They'll give this to you today, and you can get started in your walk with God. Well, we talked today, and by the way, next week, forgive me for breaking this, next weekend we're going to talk about unwanted noise because when you go through a tough time in life, it's bad enough to go through it, but a lot of times people want to come up and explain it to you, right? <laughs> people that don't have a clue, they haven't bought a ticket to your crisis, and they want to come explain it to you and give you all kinds of things that you should know. And so many times you would just like to give them a swift kick and you just give them a sweet smile. How do you deal with it when people want to come and explain to you what God is doing in your life? Next week, that's the message called Unwanted Noise. And we'll, we'll, we'll have a great time then. But while, while we're getting ready to, to end the service, I want you to hear a song. Because, you know, I, I speak the message that God has for me to give. But sometimes it's something else to hear it. Set to music. So would you just sort of listen and see if this doesn't resonate with your spirit?
0: sustain me, my defender forevermore. When hope is lost, I'll call you Savior. When pain surrounds